Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. Continuing our series on the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians as it's known. We covered last week the fact that it wasn't really the first letter that Paul wrote because in his letter he says, I wrote to you in a previous letter. And so this is an ongoing conversation that Paul is having with the church in Corinth. Uh, We spoke about the fact that this is a wild city. And so the title of the series is On Mission in a Mad World. Because this city is a wild city, it is a crazy city, it is a city filled with a culture of indulgence. People have come from all over the world, there's all kinds of philosophies and religions and thoughts and worldviews, and and it affects the way that people choose to live and think about life. They are directed in their living as a result of the culture that they're surrounded by, and this is the same kind of of pressure that we face living in this world. It's why we say that as the church, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're for the world. We're for people. We're not here to to break things down, but we are not of the world. We're not, our culture isn't determined by the culture of, of, of the world that we live in. It's determined by the word of God and by the truth of God's kingdom. And so there is this, this cultural battle that happens in our own lives, in our own hearts, How do we worship Jesus? How do we stay faithful? And how do we continue to pursue the call of God on our lives in the midst of a mad world like the one that we're living in now? And so as this church, just real people, just ordinary people in Corinth begin to struggle, begin to give themselves over to that cultural indulgence and have the pervasive culture that they were surrounded with slowly seep into uh, the, the culture of the scriptures you know, the, the biblical understanding of, of truth and life and, and what God has called us to, as it begins to corrupt these things, Paul writes to them as a father, as a father figure, as a leader, as an apostle saying, I love you. You are named by the name of Christ. You belong to a different order. You belong to a different kingdom. And, and so I want to, to, to set things right in your lives. Why? Because it's your testimony. You cannot reach the world if you look like the world. We cannot change the world if, we are, if we've simply adopted the customs and the thinking of the world. It's only those that are different that can actually change the world. And so through the grace of God, because let's just start off by saying, as I get into this message today, the title of my message is The Foolish Gospel. Uh, and, and, and it's foolishness to most who haven't come to see the, the fullness of it, and, and it just comes across as pure foolishness. And so the foolish gospel is what we preach. But for, for you know, a, a launch pad this morning, what we can absolutely with certainty say is that, that we have all struggled in one way or another to hold fast to what we, what we know is true, right? And so we want to live different lives. We want to be different But in trying to be different, so often we end up just looking the same, right? It's only very superficial often the change that we see in our lives when we determine in our own strength to make a change. And come January, we always see, you know, the posts online and people making commitments. And more than ever, I've seen, maybe it's just my own personal feed that that I see, but 
But I've seen people more than ever relying on, the, on themselves and saying things like, you know what, all we've got to do is decide what we want, plan for it, do it, right? That's how we're going to change ourselves. That's how we're going to change our world. Decide what we want, plan for it, do it. And yes, there's some, there may be some good wisdom in that. There may be some good advice in that. But, you know, at the end of the day, the gospel is not advice. It's not suggestion. It is news. It's news of what Jesus has done to change us in those areas that we could not change ourselves. And so that seems like foolishness. Oh, so we're not actually going to change ourselves. We're going to trust in God, the invisible God that none of us have seen physically. He's going to change us. That sounds like that's crazy. That's foolish. Um, But in actual fact, it is the only genuine way that we can be changed. And so when we say that we want to be different, we're not just talking about adapting some sort of a subculture or developing something that just, you know, um, is just different purely from a cultural point of view. We're talking about a culture that is born out of something genuine God has done in our lives. And so that's what I want to talk about today. Um, This is what Paul is talking about with the church in Corinth. They're struggling. Um, You know, Paul established this church. He moved on. And all of a sudden, he hears reports about all these different things that have gone wrong in that church and kind of sin that people are involved with and all kinds of struggles that they're having, and he begins to write to them. And so I want to go to 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. That's where we ended off uh, last week. And so we're still in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. And I want to go to, uh, to verse number 10. And the very first thing that Paul addresses with the church is the fact that there are divisions that have crept into the church. Divisions that have come in between these people and between what they believe and between, you know, differences in what they profess. And so he sends their appeal because if we're going to be on mission in a mad world, unity is absolutely imperative. We cannot be a divided church and give a united call to a broken world. We need to be able to speak with unity And that's why Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't disagree. That doesn't mean that we won't sometimes argue over certain things. That doesn't mean that we can't approach things in different ways. There are many things that we can approach in different ways. But it does mean that in love, we are united. And in standing in Christ, we are one church. And uh, that is a theme that we see all throughout the Bible Um, today people pull away from that in a big way because they stand on their personal preferences so strongly that that they say that, well, if I feel like the church has hurt me in any way, for example, then I am I am right to step away from the church. In fact, I heard I heard somebody recently uh, say that they were so hurt by this one church that that it has ruined all church for them, that they will won't go to any church because one church wronged them. But if you think about the fact that the church is a body, that we are one body with many parts, ultimately that would be like getting up in the morning and, you know, walking through your bedroom door and accidentally stubbing your toe. And so as a result of having stubbed your toe and experiencing hurt, you just cut your toe off and throw it in the cupboard. Go, no, I'm cut off now because I got hurt. The fact that we're people, the fact that the church is imperfect, and the fact that as people, you know, and even just because of our sometimes our own selfishness, we end up getting hurt, doesn't mean that we can ever step away from what we're a part of. 
and that is the body of Christ. You cannot be cut off from that. And when it's cut off, how would, how would it work out for that toe? If I chucked my toe into the cupboard and came back a month later, what would that toe look like? It needs the essence, the life force that is in the body, which is Christ himself, in order to stay healthy. And so, yes, a toe might be hurt. Yes, you may have been hurt. But guess what happens when it stays attached to the body? It gets healed. It gets better. Have you ever gotten a cut? And, and sometimes, I've, you know, many times I've had cuts or scars, and I've looked at my body, and I've been amazed at how it heals. And so we don't need to hold on to hurt. We can look forward to healing, even if we have felt that the church has let us down in some way or another. Remember, the church is made up of people, and people are imperfect. And that's why Paul says, make room for each other and forgive each other. It's so important. So anyways, I'm preaching way before I've even got to my scripture. But let's, let's get into uh, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10, and we're going to read through to verse 17. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to get a Bible. I know that you're watching at home, but get a Bible. It's just awesome to be able to read in the Word together. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers. And by the way, you know, I know that many people say it's just being politically correct when we say brothers and sisters. Um, but the Greek word for that is adelphoi. And adelphoi literally, depending on the context in the Greek, can mean brother or sister or brother and sister. So it is, it is completely biblically correct to say, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none, no one may say that they were baptized in my name. I did baptize also household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So Paul ultimately just coming to this church and saying, how could we say that we follow one man or one teaching or this guy baptized me or that guy baptized me, don't we understand that when we come to faith, we're all of one heart, one mind, one righteousness, and it all came through Jesus himself. And so we are a united church. A divided world needs a united church. And our world has possibly never been more divided than it is right now in this mad world. So, so we need to be a united church in a divided world. The first issue that Paul addresses is this kind of division that has crept into the church because it impacts our testimony. A, a church will not, the, the world will not believe a church that cannot even agree with itself. And sadly, you know, the, so much of church planting and church building and church, church organization has lent towards empire building, has lent towards who has the best lights and the best program and can attract the most people. And in the midst of that, and this is not true for all of the church, but along with various different denominations and so forth, 
we've often seen very little unity expressed in the church. And so we want to be different. As Anchor Church, we started off by saying Anchor Church is not about Anchor Church. We, we are not the only church in this city or in this country, and we may not even be the best uh, church in this city. Probably not, you know. Um, there's great churches out there that we have such great respect and reverence for. But we get to play a part. We get to make a difference. We get to do something, and it's ours. Um, and that's why we say this is home. This is home for us. We get to make a difference. And so in John 17, verse 20 to 21, Jesus prays for the church. What would Jesus say if he was praying for his own church? And we know he's praying in heaven right now. The Bible tells us he lives to make intercession for us. In John 17, verse 20, Jesus is praying to the Father and he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So Jesus is not only praying for the disciples that were alive during his lifetime on earth, but all those that would put their faith in God in the future. That includes you and me today. He says that they may all be one. The heart of our Savior, the prayer of our Savior, is that as the church we would be one. Father, he says, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe. We've got to be on mission in this world. The world can believe when we are one, that you have sent me. So when we have unity, the world will believe that God sent Jesus. How incredible is that? Now all of a sudden, having unity in the church and preserving you know, what, what it looks like to be a part of a local church and watching our words and watching our thoughts and watching our gossip and watching the whisper in the corridors and, and watching uh, our attitudes and our mindsets towards church. Actually, you know what? It's not about you. It's actually about unsaved people who will be kept from hearing the word because we have decided to take some personal offense and, and work against Christ's body in some way. Let's not be those people. Let's watch our words. Let's watch our thoughts. Let's watch our attitudes and build the church together. God desires to see that united church because it is a testimony to the world, and this is how people will know that we are his disciples. We're not competing with anybody. We're working together. We have millions of people in this city that do not know Jesus. The truth is we couldn't have enough churches. We don't have enough churches to reach the people. We're not fighting for the same group of Christians. We're here to reach the lost. And uh, if you want to, you can send an amen right now. If you, if you want to put a little emoji amen in the comment section, come on, church. We are together. We are united. We are one, not only as a church, but as the church. And we are moving forward. So what was the, the source of division in Corinth? Well, one says, I follow Paul. One says, I follow Apollos. One says, I follow Cephas. They started attaching themselves to men as opposed to Christ. They started seeing themselves as disciples of Paul or disciples of Apollos or disciples of Cephas or disciples of, the, of one of the other teachers as opposed to saying that we are all in Christ. And this is another issue that we have in the church today is that people are so... It's so much easier to attach yourself to a tangible kind of presence of a person and say, well, that's a person and 
he prays and I, I kind of assess him to be a spiritual man or a spiritual woman, and so that's my Savior. And we won't say it like that because we'll still say Jesus is our Savior, but we turn them into functional Saviors. We believe that if they don't pray for us, we can't be healed. If they don't bless us, we can't be blessed. If they withhold some blessing from us, then we're cursed. If, and so ultimately what ends up happening is that we worship at the altar of man. And this is not what God intended. We are all servants, pastors, preachers, no matter how big their churches are, prophets, they're all servants. They're servants of the king. And our job is the fivefold ministry is established to point to Jesus. Our job is not to save people, but to point them to the Savior. But when leaders have insecurities, and I will tell you right now that most of us do, then having people that depend on you actually feeds your ego. It feeds that need to be affirmed. And so when people depend on you, it actually makes you feel better. And so we increase, and this is what happens, this is how spiritual abuse comes into the church, when we need people to depend on us, and because people are spiritually lazy, they prefer to have that dependence as opposed to just trusting in Christ. And so it becomes an unhealthy cycle where the leaders need the affirmation and the people need that spiritual input and they begin to feed each other in this way. And it leads to a system of control where those leaders then want to make sure that those people cannot move out from under their, their, their guidance or their leadership and so they say, if you leave, this will happen to you. If you depart, you'll be overcome by calamity. And it becomes a system of control, which is, again, not... And so, and so Paul says, I'm glad that I didn't even baptize half of you, most of you. There's like three, oh yes, and that other household I baptized. Because for the rest of you, I don't want you to think that Paul is your Savior. We're in Christ. He is our Savior. And that is so important to know. So that was one of the, the, the issues in the, in the Church of Corinth. But the issue is actually deeper than that. And, the, and it was, as I mentioned before, connected to the culture of Corinth, that Greek culture which depended on um, the, the belief in wisdom as a path to godliness. And their word for wisdom, their goddess of wisdom was Sophia. So through that wisdom, as we grow in earthly human knowledge and wisdom, it actually leads us into a supernatural realm. So earthly wisdom leads us into supernatural, uh, a, a supernatural realm that allows us to become godly. And so there was, and we know this from you know, all of the Greek philosophers that wrote and all of their writings, wisdom and knowledge ultimately was worshipped in, in Greece at that time. And they were, they were puffed up by this knowledge. They boasted as a result of their specific knowledge that they had. And so Paul comes along, and he comes to Corinth, and he preaches the gospel. The gospel is just a word that means good news, and it's the good news that Jesus died for you, and that his death on the cross has once and for all settled the guilt that you may have had, the guilt and the sin that you dealt with. It has taken care of sin in your life, and it has now made you right with God. It's just a free gift. It's just grace. And that's what he preaches. No special wisdom, no special, you know, heavenly process that takes you from level to level to level. Just the pure message that Jesus died for you and therefore you are right with God if you put your faith in him. That, to this Greek world at the time, did not sound like wisdom. It sounded like foolishness. The gospel, if we preach it correctly, will always sound foolish. It will always sound crazy. 
because we're talking about a free gift of us. We're right with God. We are the righteousness of God by our faith in Christ Jesus. We haven't done anything for it, but you're righteous. You're righteous. You don't have to ascend. You don't even have to study a, you know, a lick of theology in order to be right with God. You just have to put your faith in Jesus. And then as a result, Christ becomes our wisdom. He is the source of true knowledge and wisdom. Jesus, Paul says, is the one who died for you. And we are baptized into his name, not the name of some pastor. When we baptize people here at Anchor Church, I don't take them and go, in the name of Adrian and Lee and Will and Nungi and Brent, you know, baptize. You know, we don't go, in the name of Adrian and, and Will and Brent, be baptized, you know. No, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's who you baptized into, the name of Jesus Christ. Christ, we were baptized into him. No pastor, no preacher, no evangelist, no prophet ever died for you. Come on, church, what are we doing? Man, this, this riles me up. I see, I see people that, that give more honor to their prophet or their pastor or their whatever than they give to Christ on their social media platforms and on whatever. I saw one church where everybody in the church was encouraged, instructed, suggested, I don't know what, to make a photo of the prophet or of their pastor, their Facebook cover. It's weird, church. It's weird. We are not of Apollos. We are not of Paul. We are not of Cephas. We're of Christ. That's the only name we owe any fealty to. That's the only name we commit ourselves to. That's the only name we lay our lives down for, that we serve, that we preach, that we that we that we long to be more intimately acquainted with. We do not, we are not a human organization building a human structure of power. We are a spiritual people saved by Christ. We are in Christ, we are of Him. And He is our wisdom. He is the one who died, uh, you know, died for us on the cross. Divisions in the church arise when we are puffed up by self-righteousness self-righteous, not, not righteousness, self-righteousness, and claim that our church or our people or our pastor or our prophet is better than all the other ones. It's not, this is not an attitude that comes through the gospel. Man, I could lay this, I feel like I can, I'm, you know, I can feel Paul's intensity in the scripture and I want to go there. Right, in verse 17, Paul just outright says, he says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom. Again, this is not a gimmick. This is not us trying to sound super clever. And, 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 and you know, a lot of people today, they'll scroll through social media, and, and with lockdown, there have been so many different pastors preaching that ultimately, you just look for the one that sounds the, better than the others, and you're like, well, this guy preaches a little bit better. His, he's more eloquent. He's more fluent. He's more this. And so I like to listen to that. And, there's, and, and I, I thank God for the gift of eloquent preachers of the gospel. There's nothing wrong with that. But the power is not in the eloquence. I, I feel this pressure myself. I feel that I always want to make sure that I'm super eloquent and that I'm saying things well. And Sometimes I even feel insecure. Do, you know, am I rehearsed enough well, prepped enough? Uh, you know, do I flow well enough to, to be somebody that somebody would want to listen to? And I want to be effective in my communication because I believe what I'm saying, what the Word is saying, um, is important. But you know what? The power 
is not in the eloquence. The power is in the message. It's in Christ. It's in the gospel. And so Paul says, I'm not even going to come at you with some eloquent speech. I'm just going to give you the gospel straight because that's what's going to change your life, right? Otherwise, the cross is going to be emptied of its power. If all we needed was eloquent philosophy spoken across you know, the airwaves and across the digital channels, then why would we need the cross? Then let's just keep listening to motivational talks. Let's just do TED Talks can become our new church, right? No, this is not just a message. This is not just some information that will help your life. This is the only way to salvation. It's Christ himself, and it's the cross. Otherwise, we're emptying the cross of its power. So the gospel is not mere self-wisdom. It's not self-help. It's not motivational speaking. It's not personal inspiration. The gospel is the power of God, the presence of God. And when we wrap that power, that presence, that message up in earthly wisdom, we're robbing the cross of its voice. We're robbing the cross of its power in our own lives. 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul continues. And he says, For the word of the cross is folly, foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, who are being transformed, who are being, who are being sanctified by the power of God's word in our lives, it is the power of God. To us who believe. It's God's power. For it is written, I will destroy, God says, the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? The scripture asks. Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. In other words, we couldn't through wisdom actually come to know God. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. In other words, it wasn't through special learning and knowledge that we were able to come to a place of salvation in Christ. So it pleased God to use simple means to bring salvation to us, the message of the gospel. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
You see, salvation is not found through earthly wisdom. Salvation is not found in social justice. Salvation is not found in recreating or creating a paradise on earth. It's not found in human politics or in, in, human, in, in human systems or any of those kinds of things. And that is really what we're facing in our world right now. So you might say, okay, Corinth, they believe in wisdom. So ultimately they were saying, we don't need Jesus because we're growing in knowledge. And so they just took their old Greek philosophers that they had been clinging to. They became Christians, but then substituted the philosophers for the preachers and the pastors. And Paul comes back and goes, no, we're not going to go down that same track again. It's not wisdom that saves us, not earthly wisdom. It is spiritual wisdom, which is faith in Christ. It's Christ himself is the wisdom and the power of God. But how does that relate to our world? How does that relate to what we're going through in our current times? Let me give you some really quick, a really quick breakdown of the world that we live in and the culture that is pervasive. And it's become a global culture for the most part. In most parts of the world that is, can be reached by technology, it's becoming increasingly influenced by a lot of these ideas coming out of the Western world and out of post-Christian, post, a post-Christian, post-modern world, right? So this has been going on. Post-modernism has, is something that kind of people don't talk about much at the, you know, anymore. It was a big thing, you know, maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Post-modernism was, oh, everything's becoming post-modern. The modern age relied on science and observable data and said that this is kind of where we But postmodernism moved beyond that, right? And one of the first principles of postmodernism is radical skepticism, saying that what we view and what we know is purely the result of our culture. It's just how you were brought up. So it's called cultural constructivism. Our culture has told us what is true and what is not true and what we can know and what we can't know, our epistemology. But if you were living in another culture, somewhere else in the world, um, then, then that would be your worldview. And so you only are who you are and believe what you believe because you were raised in that culture. But if you were raised in another culture, you'd be, and so it brings, it brings whether or not we can have any form of objectable or objective, not objectable, but objective truth or objective knowledge into question, even scientific knowledge. People will even say that scientific knowledge can be rivaled by, by, for example, indigenous culture. That yes, we've got the science of something, but that's a lot of people even say that's more of a Western construct. And then we've got and then we've got indigenous beliefs, and they're held equally in terms of truth, in terms of what's what's real. And so ultimately, what postmodernism said, a very important principle is that is that we cannot know. There is no absolute truth. There's no universal truth. Everything is culture-based. The political principle that comes out of that is since everything is culture-based, that culture was created by people who are in power in order to keep people who aren't in power disenfranchised. And so this is where you begin to hear what our politics of our world, it's identity politics, it's group politics, it's the politics of the oppressed. So we're constantly trying to overthrow politics because we believe that they were that they were constructed just simply even Christianity even religion was just constructed to keep people under control 
And, and, and so that is kind of that idea that comes out of that. And, and one of the ways that they do that, one of the ways that they believe, and, and this morphs into something different, right? So it's postmodernism, which morphs into critical theory, which, which is really the philosophy of our world right now, critical theories, criticizing. You're not even listening to hear. You're not even listening to believe. You're not even listening to trust. You're listening to break down. You're listening because the systems of power, the truth that is proclaimed, must be broken down so that the power base can be broken down, so that we can move towards something different beyond that, which is ultimately supposed to be paradise. In other words, the sin that we have in this world, for example, people will say that we run off a system of capitalism. We say, well, capitalism produced greed. If we get rid of capitalism, we get rid of greed. But it doesn't take into account the fact that we have sin in our hearts. And so what is critical theory doing in our world right now? Number one, it's blurring the boundaries. What are the boundaries of even things like gender? No, it's a spectrum. We blur the boundaries. Who can compete in what kind of sport? Can only women compete in women's sports? No. Let's blur those boundaries. Let's, let's start to, to change you know, what is established and what would, some would consider as true. And let's start talking about my truth versus your truth. Let's blur the boundaries. The second thing is looking at the power of language. Let's change language because if we change language, we change culture. And according to critical theory, then we break down power or systems of power. The third thing is cultural, relev- cultural relativism, which says that, cultural, that, that, that every culture and what every culture believes is simply relative. And so no culture is better than another. There's no ob- objective truth in any of them. And then the final thing that is the result of that is that it produces a loss of the individual. In other words, you might say that you are an individual, that you are the person that you are because you have certain beliefs and you've made certain decisions and you believe and pursue certain things in your life. The critical theory, the politics of today will say, no, that's untrue. I'm sorry. You're not an individual. You're just a result. You're just a product of your culture. And so there's no more individual. There's only group identity. I'm white, I am South African, I am, you know, male, I am, and that's your identity. And so we can just put you into a category with every white South African male and say that's who you are. And we just stereotype large groups of people. And then on top of that, there's no individual, but there's also no universal. Nothing applies to everybody. There's no one truth that we can live in. And this is why our our politics and our systems has purely become focused on you are what your whatever group you fall into. That is not the gospel, right? So we are not social justice warriors. We stand for biblical justice. We're not fighting a bunch of little social issues that are driven by this critical theory. No, we're fighting for the souls of men and women's lives of every race, of every color, of every creed, of every nation. Because we believe that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, but also for every individual. So we value every individual regardless of whatever group or culture they come out of. And we preach biblical justice, which is founded on the absolute truth of who God is. This is... This is the most counterculture, and for centuries, 
past and centuries to come, people will be imprisoned, will be persecuted, and will be executed as a result of just how counter-cultural this is. But we do not compromise the word of God because it is the power of God unto those who believe. And our heart is for all people. We are not going to be divided in the church, and we are not going to allow uh, identity politics to divide us as a people. Because we are one in Christ. In Christ, there is no Jew or Greek. There is no slave nor free. There is no male nor female. We're all one in Christ. And what that means is, obviously, those cultures exist and those genders exist, but it means that we don't evaluate people's value according to which group they belong to. Everyone is valuable. Christ died for all. And that is the wisdom that we have in the Word. That is the gospel message that we get to share. So Jesus, it says there, no human being is going to boast before God saying, I'm of this group, or I'm of that group, or I've done this, or I've done that. No, because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, what did he become? Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, we're transformed by Jesus, and redemption. He redeems us. He takes us from what we would have been, having been left to the the culture of this world, and he rescues us out of not just the culture, but out of sin that was within us. And he allows us to become Jesus, causes us to become, by his grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, who we, could, who we were born to be in God, who God created us to be. So let the one who boasts, if we're going to be proud of anything, church, let us boast in the fact that we are in Christ. Let us boast in the Lord. That is the way that we are going to change this world. Not by playing a divisive identity politics game. Not by virtue signaling and wanting to proclaim to be for this cause or for that cause. No, we are for the cause of Christ. Our vision is Jesus and our mission is people. And that's what we live for. That's what we preach. And that's where the the gospel takes us, and we're so grateful for that.